I'm so glad you're here. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of things today, and um, we're going to begin with um, we're going to begin with a, a sort of a cosmic map of the universe, really looking either ever, ever more deeply into the uh, letter Aleph and its structure and what it suggests. And um, you know, right when you think you pretty much know everything about the letter Aleph, along comes a Torah like this, and it's just, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's really quite, quite amazing. And um, we're going to use that as a key, this understanding of the letter Aleph, to take a deeper look into a, one of the great um, sort of uh, paradoxes or, or riddles that the rabbis expressed a very, very deep thought in, which is that at Mount Sinai, Hashem... In giving the Torah, what, what did Hashem say at Mount Sinai? So the deepest Kabbalists say, I heard in the name of Reb Shlomo, that Hashem pronounced the letter Aleph. And we're going to go into more depth than that. Now, of course, you know that the letter Aleph is silent. So what does it mean that Hashem pronounced the letter Aleph? And what does that have to do with, like, what does that mean? It's, it's pretty mind-bending. So... So we're going to get into that. We're also going to talk about Hanukkah right now. It's Hanukkah. And we're going to talk about Yosef HaTzadik and the nature of beauty and, and, and how all of that works. And also about serving God. How to, one of the necessary foundations that we need in terms of serving God. Okay, so that's a, it's a tall order. And we're going to kind of zoom. But this is maybe, um, well, let's just jump in. So, we're learning right now from the, uh, from the Or Torah. That's the commentary of Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver on... Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. No, it's all good. So, um, so we're learning from the, um, from the Or Torah... Uh, who is Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver and his commentary on the Milo's HaTorah. And I very much recommend that uh, you get this book. And um, it's in Hebrew, it's not in English, but, but um, the, there are, it's vowelized. And anyone who um, can learn it with a, a big rabbi, um, most people don't know about this book. So, so you'll be doing everyone a favor. You'll do yourself a favor. You'll do the rabbi you're learning it with a favor because he probably doesn't know it either. And um, it's good all around. Um, uh, anyway, this is, um, this is his Perush number at Tzadik. You'll see that's sort of funny because we're going to talk about the letter Tzadik uh, a little bit later. But this is uh, number Tzadik. And in this edition, Kufnun uh, Vav. Okay? So, um, anyway, here's what the Ortoras says. He says that if you look at the letter Aleph, you see something very amazing. You know, um, I think everybody knows that the letter Aleph is actually composed of three different letters. There's a Yud, and there's a Vav in between, and then there's a Yud. So it's two Yuds connected by a Vav. So um, Rav Yitzhak says the following. He says that the upper, you know, when Hashem created the world, if you look at the account of the second day of creation, there isn't a huge amount of commentary on the second day of creation because it's so deeply mysterious. Okay? What it talks about is Hashem taking the upper waters and separating them with the lower waters and putting the sky in between. Okay? So this is very, this is very, very deep because he's talking about the creation of the world. Um, um, so what Rabbi Yitzhak explains is 
that the, that the upper Yud of the letter Aleph is referring to the upper waters. And the Vav in between the Aleph, right, um, is the Rakia, is the sky. And the lower Yud is the lower waters. So that's, that's this world, okay? So that's the letter Aleph. It's actually a map of the universe itself. And there's quite a bit in this. Now, you should also know, this story you're probably more familiar with, is if you add up the two Yuds and the Vav, that's 10 plus 10 plus 6, that adds up to 26, which is the, which is the um, numerical amount of Hashem's holiest name, the Yudke Vavke. So Aleph, of course, is the number one in Gematria. So it makes sense, since we say there's one God, that's the foundation of our entire outlook on the world, there's one God, and the letter, and the, and the letter which stands for the number one, Aleph, correlates with the name of God. Because it breaks down into, you know, 26, which is the name of God. Okay. So, um, I think most of you are familiar with that, but we're going to go much deeper. Now, now you have to understand something. There are two names of Hashem that uh, really signify God's utmost existence. That's the Yudke Bavke. And just so you know, that's, that's how we express it when we when we just sort of talk quickly about it, but, but it's really the name of God, Yud and He, Vav and He. Okay? But we say Yud Ke Vav Ke, but that's the name that we're talking about, and that's the holiest name of Hashem. That's a contraction of um, Hove, Haya, and Yiyah, which means was, is, and will be. So it's, it's, it's an expression of Hashem's eternity and, and, and God's infinity. Okay? Now, there's another name of Hashem that we use, um, which is, it's spelled Aleph Dalid Nun Yud. And it's also pronounced Adonai. But that is talking about God's mastery over this world. Okay? In fact, in modern Israel, um, if you address someone politely, you address them as Adoni, which, which technically means my master. But, but this name, Aleph Dalid Nun Yud, which is referring to God, is really talking about God's mastery over creation. Okay? So, so these two names add up to the Gematria 91. 65 plus 26 equals 91. Interestingly, 91 is also the Gematria of the word Amen. So when you say Amen, you're really affirming God's mastery over everything. God's existence and mastery over absolutely everything. So, Amen is an amazing proclamation of, of, of the existence of God, the power of God, and that's why it's so important to say Amen to each other's brachas. You know, I'll just say, just conversationally, just as an aside, I've noticed that when people talk to each other, often people are giving other people blessings, and the other people, just because, you know, maybe you don't have a beard down to your toes, they don't realize they're giving you a blessing. And they say in response to this thought that you say, thank you. Don't say thank you. Say amen. Because if they're giving you a blessing, say amen. If they say you should have a beautiful day, or, you know, things should go, continue to go well with you, people go, thank you. Don't say thank you. Say amen. That's a blessing, okay? And amen, of course, as we're saying, is a, is a very, very powerful assertion of God's uh, absolute all-powerfulness. Okay. So now, um, in the Or Torah, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Hager 
goes into a, 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 a phenomenally deep explanation of what this letter Aleph is up to. And he's incorporating these two names of Hashem. Okay? The yud Vavke, which is God's infinity, and the Aleph, Dalad, Nun, and Yud, which is God's mastery over the world. Okay? Now, if you look in a Spartic sitter, you'll see, often they do this. What they'll do is they'll intertwine these two names. Both of these names have four letters. And they'll intertwine them. If you look, and you'll see they'll take the yud k vav k and they'll insert, they'll alternate the letters Aleph, Dalid, Nun, and Yud in between. Now, now this is very instructive, and we're, we're going to see all sorts of different applications of this. One of the things that you'll notice is, have you ever seen the name of Hashem spelled Yud and Yud? With two Yuds? Right? Where do they get this from? So the answer is because the letter Yud is the first letter of the Yud K Vav K, and the letter Yud is the last letter of Aleph, Dalid, Nun, and Yud. So when you do Yud and Yud, it's, a, it's, a, it's an evocation, it's a, it's a summoning of these two names of God. Do you understand? It's a contraction of these two names of God. Yud and Yud. The first letter of the Yud, Ke, Vav, Ke, and the last letter of Aleph, Dalid, Nun, and Yud. Now, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says, let's return to the letter Aleph, okay? Remember, we have a Yud on top and a Yud below and a Vav in between. Vav is the Gematria 6, by the way, because it's the sixth letter of the alphabet. So the upper Yud, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says, that's the first Yud of the Yud Ke Vav Ke. And the bottom Yud of the Aleph, that's the last Yud of da, Aleph, Dalad, Nun, and Yud. And if you count the letters in between the two Yuds, there's six letters. That's the Vav in between the upper Yud and the lower Yud of the letter Aleph. All the letters in between. Amazing. Amazing. We were saying, very importantly, that, when, that the two names added up together is the Gematria 91, which is also the Gematria of the word Amen. So when you say Amen, what you're doing is summoning both of these names, God's mastery over existence, and of course His absolute eternity and infinity. You're stating both of these things with the word Amen. And we have to be mindful that when people say nice things to each other in conversation, if someone says something nice to you, don't say thank you. Say Amen. Because this is a real powerful sealing of the, of the intention behind the person who's wishing you well. It really uplifts the bracha that you're receiving. Okay. Now, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haber says something amazing. He shows you how both of these names are expressed within the letter Aleph itself. Now remember, we said the Aleph is a cosmic map of the universe. That the upper Yud is referring to the higher dimensions, the upper waters. The lower Yud is referring to the, this world, this dimension. And the letter Vav, which is the number six, because it's the sixth letter of the alphabet, is in between, okay? So now, now listen to this. If you, and if you look in a Spartac sitter, you can see this with your own eyes. Oftentimes what they'll do is they'll intertwine these two names of Hashem. The Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. And they'll alternate with the other letters. Aleph, Dalid, Nun, and Yud. As such, what you see is something very, very cool. You see a Yud in the beginning and a Yud at the end. 
And many times we see this name of God written, Yud Yud. And it's talking about Hashem. What is that name of Hashem? So now you know. It's the first letter Yud of the Yud Kei Vav Kei, and the last letter Yud of the Aleph Dalud Nun and Yud. So whenever you see that, that expression, Yud and Yud, it's the summoning of these two names. God's eternal existence and His mastery over the entire world. And so this is what Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haber says is, is operational in the letter Aleph. The first Yud, the upper Yud, is referring to the first Yud of Yud Kei Vav Kei, and the bottom Yud is the last letter of Aleph Dalit Nun and Yud. And now, you see the letter Vav in between. Vav we said is six. There's six letters in between the Yud Kei Vav Kei and Aleph Dalit Nun and Yud. Okay, so it's just, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing portrait of the world and of Hashem and Hashem's interaction with the world. Now, Listen to the following. Something that we have to know about this vav, about the sky. What is the sky? So this is a Torah from the Baal Shem Tov. He says the following. He says, he says, this is the connection between heaven and earth, right? The sky, from the second day of creation. So, he says that, um, it says that Hashem commanded the sky. Hashem commanded the firmament to just basically be there. So, so, Basically, it's like this. Hashem said, in so, so to speak, to the sky, you stay there. And the sky went like this. It like froze in place. And it's still, if you look at the sky, it's still frozen in place from the command of Hashem. From the second day of creation. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says that after the morning prayers, it's a sagula to look up into the sky and that this increases wisdom. Okay? Combine it with the Torah that I just told you. This is one of the great, amazing things. When you just walk out of your home in the morning, look up into the sky and remember Hashem thousands or millions of years ago or billions of years ago told the sky, stay put. And the sky is still frozen in reaction to God's command. Now if the sky only needs to hear something once, what about us? What about us, right? It's, 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 quite, it's, it's quite elevating to just look at the sky and, and think about that. I am... Um, Okay, so that's the sky. Now, now let's keep on going. Because, because we have to understand this teaching that at Mount Sinai, when God spoke, He pronounced the letter Aleph. What does this mean now? Okay, so I'm going to give you my interpretation, my understanding of it. So, so first of all, let's go through the classic understandings of what God said at Mount Sinai. By the way, the, the Talmud says that Hashem spoke the first two of the Ten Commandments. Okay? And that makes sense. The first commandment is a positive commandment to basically believe in Hashem. And the second commandment is a, is a lotase, is a prohibition, don't serve other idols. 
And by the way, God doesn't repeat himself and he doesn't make unnecessary commandments. And, um, and Rabbi, Nachman, Rabbi Nachman points out something very, very important and we have to know this in our own lives too. A lot of people believe in God and they think, if I believe in God, so I believe in God. Right? But they don't they don't keep the second of the Ten Commandments, which is not to make other gods. You see, this is a very, very deep insight. It's possible to believe in God and also to endow things that don't have power with power. So this can be a big breakthrough in your spirituality if you apply this to your own life. Ask yourself. Understand, first of all, that it's not enough to believe in God you also have to believe that there is no power other than God. And that's not a semantical thing. That's a, that's a revolutionary distinction in understanding the oneness of God. Okay. So, 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 so according, to this, according to this understanding, God said the first two commandments, the first one is a ase, positive command, the second is a lotase, and that's it. And that's a microcosm of all the positive and negative prohibitions. Right? It's, it's all... You just have to say the first two. And the way the Talmud learns it out, very interestingly, is the Talmud says is that the gematria of the word Torah is 611. And since we know that there's 613 commands, so 611 were said by Moshe from God, letter by letter. God dictated letter by letter the entire Torah. So that's the first 600... That's 611 plus the two that God said. That gives us 613. And that's how it works out. Okay? By the way, you see another interesting illustration of this. I heard this in the name of the Ger Rebbe. Moshe, the Gematria of Moshe is 345. 345. What's it missing? One and two. Because God said the first two commandments. <laughs> interesting. So you have it from both sides. From both sides. Very fascinating. You know? How everything fits together. Everything is expressed. So, um, so now, but, but as I told you, the deeper Kabbalists say, say that uh, God really just pronounced the first word, Anochi, I am. Right? Just, just God's existence, I am. And that the entire Torah was contained in that. Okay? And now, we have what we're driving toward. Even deeper, is that God just expressed, pronounced the letter Aleph of Anochi, the first letter of the first word. So do you see how we have um, microcosms within microcosms? That the first expression is that God said the first two commandments, one positive, one negative, and that is a microcosm for the entire Torah. Then we go, no, 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 God just said the first word of the Ten Commandments, and it was all contained within that. And it's like, no, 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 God said the first letter of the first word of the Ten Commandments, and everything was expressed within that. So it's all, it's very, very beautiful, actually. But now, but now let's, let's, get to the, let's get to the answer now, okay? What does it mean to pronounce the unpronounceable? What does it mean to pronounce the letter Al? Well, we just said that the letter Aleph is a map of the cosmos, right? And we said that the Torah is a blueprint of the universe. So, to pronounce the Aleph 
means to articulate the blueprint of the universe, which is what God did when he gave the Torah at Mount Sinai. The mitzvahs are the building blocks of the entire universe. So when God, when God gave the Torah, he pronounced the olive. He articulated the blueprint of the universe. As we said, the letter Aleph is a map of the universe. It's a blueprint of the universe. And that's what God did at Mount Sinai. Okay? But now what about the fact that the letter Aleph is silent? Because God just said it once. Just like he combined the skies, God said it once. And now it's silent. It's there for anyone to discover. It's there for anyone to see. But it's standing there like the letter Aleph silent. But Mamish is testifying to the oneness of God. The entire world is testifying to the oneness of God. Now, we have to get into this notion of serving God, okay? So, what did we say? The connection between the higher dimensions and our dimension is the letter Vav of the letter Aleph, right? The letter Vav, we said, is the sixth letter of the Aleph base, right? Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Chaber says, what does that mean? Why, why the number six? Because, well, let's, let's pause for one moment because he asks a great question before he gets the answer. He says, if you look at the prophecy of Isaiah, you see he describes the angels in heaven and they have six wings. Okay? If you look in the prophecy of Yechezkel, Ezekiel, after the destruction of the temple, his prophecy shows that the angels have four wings. So how do we account for this? We have six-winged angels, and then we have four-winged angels. What's going on? Okay? So, so the Gomorrah explains, Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac explains something amazing. He says, he says that the six wings refer to the six orders of the Mishnah, of the Torah Shabal Peh. After the temple was destroyed, two orders of the Mishnah, Kadshim and Taharos, were no longer operative because we couldn't do it because we didn't have the base of Migdash. And so those six got reduced to four. So the six wings of the angels was when we had the base of Migdash and we were able to do the complete avoda which correlates with all the tractates of the Torah Shabal Peh, the oral law. And after the temple was destroyed, it gets reduced to four wings because we don't have access to the performance of those, mit- of those mitzvahs. Now listen to this. He goes even further. He goes, okay, sounds good. He goes, now I'm going to prove it to you mathematically. Like, you know, I was happy there. You know, so... So, he says that in terms of the total number of Mishnahs, that's when we're dealing with 900. I mean, I'm sorry, that's when we're dealing with six wings. There's 900 separate mit- uh, Mishnahs. Okay, those are how it's divided. He says, if you look at the word uh, Kanaf, Kanaf means wing. Okay? Kanaf is the Gematria 150. Okay? Now, it's a Chaf Nun Fe. 150 times the six orders equals 900, the total number of Mishnayas in the entire Torah Shabbal Peh. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
Okay, so let's let's just switch tracks for a moment. By the way, I just gotta just gotta tell you some more in what he says here. I got you. How great is it to study Torah? How great is it to come up with Kedushim with new Torahs? Listen to this. When God created the world, he spoke the world into existence. God is creating the world over and over and over again. Okay? Every single moment, God is creating the world. When you come up, when you study Torah, when we study together, and, and when you come up with new Torahs, okay? Like, like what we call uh, Chedushim, new, new levels of Torah. You are fueling the recreation of the world. Okay? So that's sort of like the, 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 the nuclear core which is fueling the, re, the constant recreation of the world. But, but Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Haber says there's an important distinction now. He says, because this world, the, the Gomorrah says, will last for 6,000 years. Okay? We're up to the year 5,770. Okay? This world is going to last for 6,000 years. Afterwards, it's going to change or it's going to go away. It's going to continue to evolve and become an even more spiritual creation. Okay? But, he says, so this world goes away. But, the words that you speak in Torah last forever. Go beyond this world. And not only that, but those words of Torah give you wings that you'll be able to fly across the waters with. Listen to this. There's a Pasuk, I'm reading to you now from Gomorrah Sanhedrin, um, Tzadi Beis, Ahmed Beis, 92.2. Okay, you ready? It says something really amazing. When God resurrects the dead, HaKodesh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed is He, will make them wings like eagles, and they will glide over the water in safety. Okay? Let's return back to the letter Aleph. Remember, we said that that wing correlates with the wings of the angels and with the learning of Torah with the number of Mishnayos. So when you learn, the Gemara says that basically you'll receive wings to fly over the waters. What did we just say? We said that the upper Aleph are the upper waters, the Vav is the Torah, and the bottom Yud is the lower waters. So you're going to be able to soar through the dimensions into the infinity of God through your Torah study. For all time, after this world collapses or disappears or evolves into the next world, you're going to have wings to continue to soar and to participate in the infinity of God. Okay. Alright, hard to absorb all this, but <laughs> just, just keep learning. That's the bottom line. Don't stop learning Torah. Don't stop. Don't stop. If you didn't get that, just get this part. Don't stop. Okay. So, so now we've got we've to go further. This is now from the Chobos Halavovos. Okay, that's the, translated as the Duties of the Heart, one of the classic Torah books of all time. Okay. Rabbi Avigdor Miller, 
gave the following ex- explanation. How do we serve God? So we're talking about serving God. Now we're talking about doing it through Torah study, but we have to know this foundation in terms of serving God. Very practical. Okay, all this has been practical, although we're talking about the utmost applications of it, but let's get super practical again, okay? An insight into our own spiritual psychology right now. Very important, okay? says the following. All service of God must stem from gratitude. Okay? And he gives an amazing explanation why. If it's not coming from a place of gratitude, here's what a person is going to say in their heart, whether they're aware of it or not. God, look at how I'm serving you, and look at how I inconvenience myself for you. Look at how I inconvenience myself for you, and essentially, God, you owe me. Right? But, if service of God is based on gratitude, by being constantly aware of all of the amazing things that God is doing all of the time, then, basically, we're walking around with our minds blown, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And from that standpoint, what, mix, what, what, whatever you want me to do, <laughs> you don't want me to mix wool and linen? I, I, I'll never do it. <laughs> Thank you, God. You want me to put a box on my head and on my arm? Yes. Yes, of course. Anything. Thank you, God. That's real service of God. That's avoda. That's where it must come from. Because if it's not coming from there, it's not, it's not real service. Okay, of course it's service. Of course it counts. Of course, of course, of course. Absolutely. And it's better to do it and begrudgingly than not to do it at all. Oh, yes to all of that. However, that's not what we're trying to do. You know what I want to do? I want to be a C-minus student. That's what I aspire to. I'm going to get a C minus. It's going to be amazing. No, that's not it. If we're in it at all, we're in it to do it right, right? So it's got to be based on gratitude. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I've noticed in my own life. Let's say you're not feeling it at all. Now, the hardest thing about this is, if you're not feeling it at all, remembering what I'm about to say. (laughs) Because if you're not feeling it at all, you're, you're probably not going to remember this thought. So... Okay, so maybe you can come up with some kind of device to remember this. But anyway, if you just start saying thank you to God over and over again, by the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth thank you, you're really going to be feeling it. And by the twelfth, fifteenth thank you, your mind will be blown. Because you're going to be saying things like, and I'm being totally serious right now, by the tenth or fifteenth thank you, you're going to be going... God, thank you for my toes. Yes, of course, my toes and my fingers and my hands. Thank you that this world even exists. Thank you for even, like, allowing me to be born ever. And my health, I can't believe it. Thank you. And then from that standpoint, your heart is going to be open, your mind is going to be open, and you're going to be able to do everything from the standpoint of gratitude. And you see, the thing is, remember, God... Aleph is the number one. God is one. So there's this comparison to God and the Aleph. And remember, the Aleph is silent. God is here, but he's not. It's all around us. We're inside it. We're swimming in God. We're swimming. You know, like I always say, 
the conversation between the two fish. Remember? One fish says to the other fish, do you believe in water? And the other fish says, I don't know if I believe in water. (laughs) My grandfather was very religious. He believed in water. Right? That's us. We're We're swimming in God. But because it's all around us, we don't see it. Because it's like the letter Aleph. It's silent. But God's right there. That's right there. Always there. Wherever we are. He's always there. And even in the darkest place, He's there as much as He is in the highest place in heaven. That's, you know, if you, if you learn um, Chabad Hasidus, it really brings out this point, and, and it's all, all from the Baal Shem Tov. But understand that it's not that there's less of God in a dark place. God is as much in the darkest place in this world as He is in Atsilus, which is the highest dimension of Godliness. Okay? Very important to know that. Okay, now, by the way, just one of the great, you know, we don't know how to explain the Holocaust. We can't, we can't. But, I did hear a one-line expression uh, in the name of Stan Levy that I just have to give over, just because it's so strong. He explained the Holocaust, or gave a description anyway, in, in, the, in the following way. He says, he says, Basically, what the, the mind can grasp it. What happened was there were people who did what they shouldn't have done, and there were other people who didn't do what they should have done. A very amazing encapsulation. Yeah? So, anyway. Let's keep on going further. So we have to understand that the foundation of our service is gratitude. Now, I want to, I want to now switch gears slightly and talk about Yosef, Yosef HaTzadik, to talk about Hanukkah. We have to know that whenever we read the story of Hanukkah, it's always when we're reading the story of Yosef in the Torah. Every single year, every year, always. Okay, so there's a very strong correlation between the two. Now let's go back to to this notion of beauty, okay? Greece is prized for its beauty, but usually it's an expression of external beauty, okay? Their notion of proportionality to this day is absolutely amazing, you know? And aesthetics, very, very beautiful, but, but external, and not necessarily connected to the internal. As I heard a very uh, interesting thought that the word facade, facade means a false front. And it's where the word face comes from. So that's, if you think about it, that's already like a little bit corrupt, that a face is a false front. Right? Whereas in Hebrew, face is panim, and it comes from the word pininius, which means one's inside. In other words, the panim is an expression of the paninius. That's how it's supposed to be. Your outer self is supposed to be an expression of your inner self. Right? That's the, the, the Torah approach, and you see it in the, in the language. Okay? Now, the word Greece, remember, the word, the word Greece is Yavan. And, and it's, you know, we're talking about proportionality 
an external beauty, it's expressed in the letters themselves. Greece is spelled Yud, which is like a little line, right? A little straight line. Vav, which is also a straight line, a little bit longer. And then Nun Sophit, which is also a straight line, but even longer than that. So you have a little line, a longer line, and the longest line. And that's Yavan, Yud, Vav, Nun Sophit. Okay? So what this is expressing, remember, it's coming now from the upper Yud, right? The Yud of Hashem's name. Okay? So, so you have Yud, Vav, Nun Sophit. So that's a, a downpouring. It's a downpouring of beauty. Okay? Because Yavan, Greece, is this beauty. However, it needs a vessel to hold it. You need a vessel to hold it. Because if it just comes down without any sort of parameters into this world, without the proper ability to access it, it becomes corrupted in this world. It becomes corrupted. Beauty without a vessel will become corrupted. You know, I'll tell you from a... I'm sorry if this is a little bit... uh, weird thought to express, but I, I do think that it's an accurate observation of where our society went. The free love movement of the 1960s, okay, probably that there was a core of lust to it, no question to it, but there was also this crazy idealism to it as well. But you know something? I don't think that it's a, I don't think that it's a coincidence that that it transmogrified, that's a fancy word which means that to become a monster, okay? It transmogrified into the pornography industry of the early 70s, which has only grown and grown. This free love thing, which had a core of idealism, of breaking down barriers between people. Okay, granted, even at its best, it, it was flawed. No, no question about that. But, but nonetheless, there was a there was an idealism being expressed, but without it being properly harnessed, it becomes completely corrupted. Completely corrupted in the worst possible fashion. So it needs, this beauty that's coming down, needs a vessel to hold it. Now, what is the ultimate vessel to hold it? The tzaddik, the righteous person. Okay? As it says, it's worth it that Hashem created the entire world just for one righteous person. Okay? Now, tzaddik, a tzaddik, a righteous person, there's also a letter in the alphabet. Tzaddik. What happens when you put the letter tzaddik in front of Yud, Vav, Nun, in front of Yavan, which is Greece? You put the letter tzaddik in front of it and it spells Sion. Sion is Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim is the marriage of heaven and earth. Earth being the ultimate vessel for heaven, right? And Yerushalayim being that holy vessel for the hashpa, for the holy downpour from above. Now, Zion is the gematria of Yosef. Zion is Yosef. And everybody knows... Yosef was beautiful. He was beautiful on the outside and he was beautiful on the inside and his greatness was that his inside ruled over his outside. 
you see how Yosef was the ultimate vessel, was the tzaddik in front of the Yaban. Was the tzaddik, the vessel to hold this downpour of beauty and righteousness, which is the city of Yerushalayim, which is Yosef HaTzadik. Now, I, I really want to continue, but uh, I think I think maybe we'll just say one more thought and just wrap it up there, okay? You see in the Torah that that it says in the beginning of Parshas Kitzetzeh that it refers to the Yafas Tor. The, the Yafas Tor means beautiful of form. The woman who's beautiful of form. And um, that, that, you, that you'll take her captive. And it's, it's referring to it's referring to a, a, a woman that the Jews are battling against. So this is, um, this is a, a foreign army, not a Jewish woman. And, um, and then it talks about the various um, laws of, you know, what kind of relationship you can have with her and whether you can marry her or not. And if you do, her process of conversion and all the rest. Um, but the rabbis say that since we're learning this Parsha right before Rosh Hashanah, this war that we're referring to is the battle against the Yetzirah, the evil incarnation. And somehow this beautiful woman is, a, is an expression of this because it's sort of that glittering object that when you're in a sort of like a, you know, a, a very sort of Tavidic mode, a, a, it's, it's that which you sort of like run after. Maybe it's not the, the proper thing to run after. But there's something very amazing because this, this term, Yafas Tor, beautiful form, it's also referred to by Rachel, she's called Yafas Tor, Esther is called Yafas Tor, and Yosef is also called Yafa Tor. Same, exact same name, but just grammatically switched to the masculine. The tough is made into a hay, but the exact same term. So now, how do we understand this? That our three, three of our greatest tzaddikim are called beautiful of form, and when we think of this term, beautiful of form, it's very much in the context of, of being taken into captivity in the battle and the Yetzirah so how do we reconcile these things so let me just tell you the Gomorrah says the following the Gomorrah says that the evil incarnation really has three dimensions there's the Satan which is the heavenly accuser the Malachamavis which is the angel of death which attacks a person's body you should all live long and the Yetzirah which attacks a person's soul, which tries to make you make wrong decisions. But that's all one single power. That's one force. The Satan, the Malachamavis, and the Yetzirah. Okay? So now I want to show you something, which is that I would like to suggest that these three, these three people who are all called Yathas Tar, beautiful of form, all three have been taken captive. So let's work from above to below. Okay? Let's start with Esther. Esther was taken captive. How? Because after Vashti was executed, Ahasuerus had an empire-wide beauty contest. And Esther, who was very, very beautiful, was in Mordechai's house, and it says that Mordechai hid her. The Midrashians say that Mordechai hid her because he knew he didn't want her to be drafted to become a contestant in, contestant in this beauty pageant. 
But they found her and they took her. There's a... Is that, is that a woman taken in battle, in captivity? Right? It's exactly it. Now, I want to say that that correlates with the Satan. Why? Because the whole story of Purim happened because the heavenly accuser, the Satan, accused the Jews of doing something wrong and that the whole Jews should be wiped out. The Gomorrah Megiddo discusses various reasons why that is. Either Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says that we bow down before a statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and that's why we deserved it, or because we ate at the Feast of Achashverosh, which was celebrating basically that the Jews were not going to go back to Jerusalem. So, what are you celebrating that for? So that's why we deserve to get wiped out? Or that we were just completely spread out, and there was basically sinus chinam between us, causeless hatred between us, and that's why. But you see that Esther, who was taken captive, was able to defeat the Satan. Because the Jewish people were saved, and we re-accepted the Torah afterwards. Okay? Let's go down to the next level. The Malach Hamavis, the angel of death. Now we said Rachel is also called the Yathas Tar. She was taken into captivity by the angel of death. How? Because she died during childbirth. That was a battle. And she was taken captive, so to speak, during that battle. She was, her life was taken. You follow? But Rachel also has the final victory. Because it says that Rachel is praying that all of the children, all of God's children, should go back to, to Israel. And it says that Hashem is listening to her prayer, and He's going to answer her prayer. And that's going to be the end of days. And it says that the Malach Hamavis is going to be slaughtered. Death is going to be slaughtered. So we see she's also a Yafastar who is also taken during battle, but that she also defeats the Yitzhahara. And what's the final example? Yafatar, Yosef at Sadiq? Well, we see how he was taken captive very clearly. Sold into slavery and then, and then taken by the Egyptians. He was taken captive clearly. And we see how he was victorious over the Yitzhahara by those people who desired him and, and he says something very interesting he says when he reveals himself before his brothers it says come and hear see and hear about my glory and tell my father about my glory so it sounds a little bit strange like he's bragging like you know I'm a big man tell my father how big I am but if you look at the Rashi on it it says see and hear about my glory, right? He says, Rashi says that he showed them his bris milah, that he was still circumcised, because in, like at the time of Hanukkah and different times during Jewish history, they would try to cover over the bris milah, so like it didn't exist because it's such an identifying uh, um, symbol that you're Jewish. The fact that he still protected his bris was a sign of his glory, and he was speaking Hebrew to them. So, so he says, here, he was speaking Hebrew to them. So that I'm really your brother. So, so I'd like to say that this was the glory that he wanted to have them tell his father about. And I heard a beautiful, beautiful, um, that, I've remained, that I've remained righteous even in this environment. I heard a beautiful Torah. I can't tell you in whose name, but, um, but he says that if you if you, if you 
Everyone knows that the way Yosef was able to save himself was that he saw his father's face before him, Yaakov's face before him. And that way he was able to, to control himself, basically. But, but this Rav says, if you actually look at the language itself, it says something a little bit different. It says that, not that he saw his father's face, but he saw how his father saw him. It's a very deep and beautiful thing. In other words, in other words, how much faith his father had in him. That's what he saw. Not just his father, but how much his father believed in him. And of course, we say that every single morning when we say, Moda Ani, the last thing we say is, Rabba Emunasecha, how great is your faith? How great is your faith in us? In other words, the first thing we're supposed to say every single morning is a proclamation of how much Hashem believes in us. And that can give us power to get out of bed and to start the day. Okay. Okay. The story of Hanukkah is being acted out right now. Okay? And um, every time we get into Hanukkah, any time we get into any of the holidays, that, that light is coming down very strongly. So, so, if I were to say to you, well, that light's coming down very strongly, what does it mean to you? Maybe you would say, well, we have to light up the darkness and all the rest. Okay, all good, all true. But, but I want to say one more point, which is one of the absolute essential elements of Hanukkah is the fact that we discovered oil. We found that one little jar of oil that wasn't despoiled. It wasn't made spiritually impure. So that's, that's also open to us, right now and always, but especially now. Which is to say that within us is a little piece of Hashem. Everyone has an Hashem, it's a little piece of Hashem. And we have to understand that if you look inside yourself, even if you feel like, you know something, I'm done, I'm through, it's over, I'm just, I'm done... There's a place within you that's got a little jar of oil that you can find because they found it now. They found it now. If you look, you'll find it. If you look, you'll find it. It's inside of you. If you look, you'll find it. And you can light it up. You can light yourself up. You can light the entire world up. So Hashem should bless us that we should understand that Hashem, like the Aleph, so to speak, like the number one, is silent, but it's been pronounced, it's been articulated. Hashem pronounced the letter Aleph at Mount Sinai, meaning to say He articulated the structure, the map of the entire universe. That's the Torah itself. And that when we learn Torah, when we do mitzvahs, we're making wings for ourselves to soar into Hashem's infinity forever, 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 forever. And Hashem should just bless us with good holy eyes, when we look up at the sky, we should see the firmament is like just ah, standing frozen, still 1,000% given over to the command of Hashem from perhaps billions of years ago. And that Hashem, even though He's often, we experience Him as silent, then not to be afraid. He's so much there. He's so much there. He's so much there.